this is episode 6 of the Antarctic cast and although this episode doesn't have a very central topic there's a lot of things that are worth sharing so let's go through some of them so I'll start with diversity and I have the impression that Bass is somehow quite diverse in a sense that you have people from different ages and different origins um, you have the biggest gender equality that I ever seen in an engineering company. This is my fourth job. I'm sure there are companies with more, but from my experience in jobs, this is the company that employs um, more equally men and women. And um, they have a lot of policies. So, so this is not a coincidence, right? They, they put effort and they have a lot of policies in place to support employees so they have something like a polar pride group to support LGBT um, and transgender people they have a lot of talks about diversity they have a thing called the pledge where you can just change something minimal but you do kind of like again a pledge talking that you commit on supporting people and then use a different strap on your badge so people can see that you are a person they might be um, that, that you are open to be a point of contact to help people during the pre-deployment training which is a training we do um, before going to Antarctica so basically everyone that goes to Antarctica does a pre-deployment it's about a week of talks they talk a, a lot about how to behave in the station, to minimize conflicts, what is not acceptable. And this could be a lot of things that are covered by law, like legal um, discrimination you're not allowed to, or age discrimination, gender. There's a lot of things that are covered by the UK law, which are the ones that operate in the base. But also things that are not that clear from the law, but are also important in terms of keeping a better environment. I think you should give respect to that because it's a lot of, yeah, again, effort to, it, it costs money, it costs people's time to organize this kind of talks. And they make sense in a lot of senses. So to one point, they are useful because people feel more comfortable where they work, they stay in the company and then you don't have to spend again to recruit a person again. You avoid lawsuits, you avoid, avoid humans feeling bad at their work environment where they spend most of their days and when you are in, in, in the Antarctica basically all your time. So, so it's kind of an investment but it's also a humane way of um, leading a company and, and, and I think this is really cool. I'm, I'm very positively impressed by that so talking uh, in the pre-deployment training they have other stuff that for me was quite amazing to see so they have a line of a person that's trained uh, especially to hear people working in the south so in my case the staying in the south is a two and a half month stay but other I islands or stations people stay up to 18 months sometimes even more possibly and it's good to have a system in place to support these people in a very remote location far away from their family and loved ones 
Mm, in the pre-deployment training as well, we have motivational talks that we will explain a bit about the science that we're doing down there. It, you have talks about rules. One thing that was really surprising for me was the number of times that we um, heard that it's not allowed to like, get shit-faced in the station, so you shouldn't be drinking too much. It feels kind of obvious, but if they are putting so much emphasis on it, it is because they had problems in the past, and, and they don't even deny that, like it's pretty open. That, and, and I imagine for many reasons. So again, people are out of their comfort zone, far away from family and loved ones, in a place that have, especially in the winter, some constraints. You cannot go wherever you want. There's not a lot of um, entertainment options. So if you don't find um, stuff to do, you end up drinking more. You're also in a group and there's obviously some kind of peer pressure. This won't be a problem in, in Halley Station. Halley Station, due to the lack of possibility to dock a ship, is pretty dry. This season especially. And there's no wintering there. So it, it's part of it, it's one thing regarding the Antarctic Treaty. You wouldn't be allowed to have bottles there because they will freeze and break and you're not allowed to leave waste unattended as well so you ship your waste back and in the station just to give a bit of a feeling so for Halle this season will be about 30 people these 30 people they have many functions so there's the core scientific group which involves IT electronic electronics engineering and glaciology, science coordination, some other functions like that. There's a bit more of technical people, so the plumber, the mechanical, um, the guy who operates vehicles, the guy who does works in heights. Probably there are technical names for that, but it doesn't occur to me right now. And you have some intermediate groups that are doing projects. So one project in the station is to determine um, the future of the station and another one going on right now it's the automation of Halley I'll put links in the description uh, the one I, I heard the most and I like the most is or it's more interesting to me is the automation one and to give an idea of impact all polar operations they are very uh, good for science but they are often very bad for the environment which is surprising or not depending on who you who you ask but then you're trying to do science so you can preserve the environment among other stuff and then you end up destroying the environment a bit or hurting the environment to do this science so the automation of Halley the objective is not an environmental one the objective is to have it's a scientific one so to have the station running 365 days per year, not only in the summer, when it's now possible to, to have a station manned. But it ended up reducing the emissions of the station by 86%, which is amazing. Like, <laughs> whenever you have a company that can do a reduction of 86% of some environmental cost, I think it's quite respectful. Uh, yeah, I, I, it's really impressive. And the way this happens is you have a turbine that is generating power most of the year. The turbine sends telemetry data back to Cambridge. 
and you have a system of pumps to both refuel the turbine when it needs or UPSs to restore power during power outages. So you can kind of maintain this. There's a, a good chance that the second turbine will come as a backup. And I don't know, I think it's, it's pretty cool. First that you can get this, the same scientific results and the second that you are gonna provide science as a lower environmental cost in a place that it's so fragile in terms of um, ecosystem and it influences so much the rest of the planet. So the reason you cannot currently winter in the station is a glaciological reason. So the station sits in a ice, ice shelf, which is basically a floating piece of ice. And that's why if you look at the design of the station, they have modules. So you can understand this piece of ice is a frozen waterfall-ish. So it flows down from the Antarctic Plateau. And because it doesn't flow down uniformly, you have kind of differential streams. So the station is constantly having some torsion. And because of snow deposition, you have to raise the station which is literally raising it it has some mechanical legs that you can extend and by doing so um, the station goes out of the snow otherwise it would be buried very um, fast this was this was what it happened with the first stations so now we're in Halley 6 the first ones Halley 1 2 3 4 they didn't have this design in Halley 6 was already implemented but it was not movable it was just extendable and then you had this torsion effect from the differential streams in the waterfall. Because you imagine it's a large building. Think ab about a building with 100 meters length. And if the part on, on, let's say, on one side of the station have a flow of one meter per day, and the other one is half a meter per day, you can imagine that this is either spinning if it's movable or it's like having some torsion if it's if it, if it is movable, it's, uh, yeah, no, if it's fixed, it's tor uh, having some torsion, and if it's moving, it's like kind of spinning. So it's good that you can realign your modules, and that drove a bit the design of the station. Also regarding to safety, something that was really cool was to see the mass training and the SAR training. So the mass training is a course basically on how to climb a tower, similar to the electricity towers but in our case it's towers where you're going to put either experiments or weather radars or other yeah scientific gear it for those that know what a via ferrata is it's very similar so it's basically you have a harness which in in this case because it's a technical harness it's a full body harness so not only um, sitting on your waist but also on your comes all the way to your shoulders and then in the middle you have a anchoring point and then you have two clips like a via ferrata clip which are big carabinas and you clip those in the tower and you always have at least one clipped so even if you fall you have a shock absorber to absorb your um, shock load so it's pretty safe it's a bit for a climber is a bit over the top because the equipment is pretty big and heavy and bulky but it's an industry standard and there are reasons for that 
mostly because a climber have an equipment that have to withstand forces for every now and then when it goes in the weekend for let's say a via ferrata but um, a worker does this all year round so those those kids they have to be a bit more yeah sturdy resistant and, and durable and every small fracture or failure in the kit you throw it away because you have a liability issue so when you're doing your hobby it's you on your own and when you're having an employee which might have a potential risk fall and it's pretty bad accidents happen without um, this excess of care so sorry accidents happen even with the excess of care so without it would most likely increase and then there was the SAR training which stands for search and rescue training there was two parts there was the part of knots and crevasse rescue slash jumar out of a crevasse which is a climbing gear you used to climb on a rope when you have no adherence to the terrain and there was the part of navigating um, with a uh, map and a compass both were quite interesting whenever there was rain in the search and rescue training we went to the climbing hall to practice and then we were four in a group and two of us would be uh, learning about knots and procedures and the other two were free to climb or boulder. It was a lot of fun <laughs> to be at work in a climbing hall. I felt that I finally um, am a good fit for my job and then a boulder uh, 7A for uh, like during working hours getting paid for that is pretty cool. So. This was also really nice, not only because it's fun and I like climbing and this would be what I would be doing in my free time anyway, but also because you see that there is a commitment to having people safe. Those courses, they don't only happen in, they happen in Wales, but they will not only happen in Wales, but rather um, as well when we get to the station. So when we get to the station, we're going to repeat the courses um, in situ, so like in the really in the eyes and where it makes more sense with big gloves and other complicating factors but saying that you already have the information in your mind it happens a lot it, it helps a lot sorry and yeah it, it's just really a lot of fun and knowledge in the pre-deployment training we also had a first aid course which was about one day it was really nice i'd done things that i haven't done before like applying a injection which I did in uh, orange, but still pretty cool. And many other things that I've done before, but it's good to refresh. Like, I don't know, using a defibri defi defibrillator <laughs> or um, immobilizing parts of the body, like broken parts. I had a lot of theory as well. And yeah it, it was also very nice to have it i wish we would go even further down in terms of complexity like learn even more but for the purpose of the mission this is um adequate and they also have a lot of people to to train for the deployment since everyone have to go through this course so there's a logistics impediment to do this um a lot more complex so i think that's it i'll go through the usual summarizing um so far i'm very impressed with the company both with the commitment for safety 
um, with the commitment for diversity and actually having policies that make sense and support this. And it's been a lot of fun to learn about all these topics. And yeah, I hope to, to learn more and bring more interesting contents in the future. As always, thanks a lot for listening and see you in the next one.